I actually uh, skipped over a chunk of chapter 2 on purpose. It's the story of Adam and Eve when they meet, the loneliness, the marriage, the family, sexuality, singleness, because I really felt like it really needed its own little package. And so actually tomorrow, next week I'm going to begin that and uh, do, a, do a, sh a short series on marriage, singleness, sexuality, you know, uh, and um, loneliness, that all fits together, all right? So, but I want to I conclude this, this chunk here of God's invitation to a beautiful life uh, today. So this is really part 10 and, and it, all right? So, and you'll notice Steve over there as he finishes up his painting today, and uh, as he's painting, you know, his rendition of, the, uh, of their expulsion from the garden. Uh, and uh, so thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, so, all right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to begin reading in chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 16. I'm going to read, it's kind of a long section, verses 16 to 24. This is after uh, Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden, turned away from God, run their own way. They've hidden, they've grasped that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, God said to them, if you do this, you will, you know, you will, there'll be consequences. So here they come. To the woman, he said, verse 16, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now jump down to verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, let's pray. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, as we open up this tremendous text, that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts, that we might mature and grow up and receive your word, even though it's a hard word, Lord, but that it might drive us to our knees and break us and lead us to you, to surrender to Jesus and be men and women truly who are depending and living and drinking from you moment by moment every day. For you are the vine and we are the branches, and apart from you, it's true, Lord, we can do nothing. So may we be broken by this text, but may, may we come alive through this text too, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now you'll notice, uh, again, in your bulletin, the listing of those 10 messages, I want to just kind of show you where we are here today, all right? We began by talking about God being the creator of the universe, made everything beautiful. Uh, he's infinite, he's incomprehensible, yet he's here, he's, and he creates humanity, men and women, and he's passionately in love with us. And then we went into the second part of the series about what it means to be made in God's image, how God's created us to, to live on earth, to, in a sense, bear the beams of his love, to absorb them. And, and we talked about what it means to have a really a, a proper self-image as made in God's image, and all that that means. It was tremendous. And then we spent four weeks on Sabbath, and the call from God that he doesn't want to use you, but he loves you and he wants you to delight in him and he delights in you and is a place of grace and, and a place of stopping and resting 
and um, delighting and contemplating God and how that rhythm is key to understanding who God is. He works and he rests in the same way he's built us in his image to work, to do, and to rest. And then we, then we spent two messages talking about the rhythm, God's gift of rhythm and limits. And if you remember, they were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they were to stop and they were to trust God, even though he didn't explain why. They were to stop at that limit and eat everything, but not that tree. And how God's given us limits and a rhythm of life to, to do and to stop, you know, to, to be and, uh, and to be active, the contemplative, the active life, and all that. And we spent some time on it. And then we ended by talking about two weeks ago and just the whole fig leaves and, and how they, that sin is not just grasping, but sin is also hiding from God. As Adam and Eve go away from their original intention of living in fellowship with God, they hide. They put fig leaves on, they project a false self, and yet God in his love comes after them. But this great theme of Genesis of either we hide out of fear or we surrender to God's love and trust him. It's one of the great big themes of those first three chapters of all of life. Now, this is such an important message to end with because it's, it's, a, it's a hard message. This is a grown-up message. That's why the title is you know, growing up to embrace the pain of life or difficulty of life because it takes a grown-up to look at the truth. It takes a grown-up to look at pain and difficulty in the face and not run away from it. And, and uh, the key image here is found at the end of Genesis 3 in, the, in verses 23 and 24. And I want you to get this image. God, it says, the Lord God banishes them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they've been taken. And he drives them out of Eden. They live east of Eden. If you remember, they were the ones who were supposed to guard the garden, but now God's got to put basically angels or cherubim there to guard the garden from them. And they're expelled out. They're driven out. And uh, a sword is an incredible image. I, I was thinking of Star Wars. It'll be a great movie, you know. You've got cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth. And they can't go back to Eden. That's the image you've got to have in your mind. They've been banished out into the wilderness or the desert, and they cannot go back to Eden. And, and so, the, I don't know about you, but I want to go back to perfection. I, I want to go back to live in my mother's womb, you know, where I was swimming in her fluids. And I was, it was wonderful. There was no problems in life and no difficulties, and everything was perfect. And her and I had a perfect relationship, you know. And, you know, my... my, my I'm always looking to avoid pain, aren't you? I mean, who wants pain? And so uh, most of us are looking to get away from this text. I mean, we don't, we don't want this Genesis 3 to 24, We're, the, the implications of the curse and the fall. And we, we don't, we, rather than get broken by this text, what happens is many of us, uh, we end up looking to go around it. We look somehow, how am I going to get, we're fighting our way to get back into the Garden of Eden. And uh, even many of us, Use God to do the same thing. You can use church as a crutch to stay immature and run away from the implications of this text. And uh, that's why we have so many people in churches that have been around a long time but are still spiritual babies because not having grown up to embrace the true pain of life. Yes, there's great hope and joy, and we'll talk about that. But uh, unless you embrace this text and the reality of it, okay, one has to, we'll talk about later, either flee or fight or freeze. And uh, so we don't want to use Christianity to run from God. We want to engage with God in this place and come out mature and make a difference in people's lives and bring the hope of the world. So I'm going to talk about two parts this week. I want, today, I want, I want to talk about life is hard outside the Garden of Eden and you can't go back. I want to talk about that. 
because I don't like this message, and I never have. And this is not easy for me to hear, let alone speak, because I know my own stubbornness, my own rebellion, my own pride, my own desire to control life and have a perfect life now and demand it from everybody around me. And so I want to kind of expound on these t in verses 16 and 19, because that's the point of verse 16, 16 and 19 is you can't go back. And there is a sword there, and you can't get through it to go back. Because life on earth is marked by pain and difficulty. So he starts by talking about two areas, and relationships, and then he's going to talk about work. So in, verses, in verse 16, he just takes the whole relational area. And you'll notice he says to Eve and to the woman, you're, you're going to have pain in childbirth, and, uh, which we all know about, right? Can you imagine childbirth with no pain? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And, uh, but he's talking more than just about the actual childbirthing. He's talking about all relationships are now going to be marked by pain. The birthing of all God-beautiful relationships will be marked by pain. And so he actually goes into it in verse, the next verse, I'm sorry, verse 16. He, he says, now, instead of you having perfect intimacy, which we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks, and he says, your desire will be for your husband, and then he will rule over you. Now, those two words doesn't come out, doesn't come out as clear in this English text, are very negative Hebrew words. And the word desire is the word literally to, you will want to absorb him or devour him. And uh, it's kind of, actually it's used in other texts of a tiger waiting to devour its prey. So you as Eve are going to want to devour him. And, uh, and then he will rule over you. And that's the word for dominate as a dictator dominates over a people. So you're going to have basically the battle of the sexes. And he says that now relationships are going to be marked by battle. Before they were not, but now they will be. And, um, and that's why, you know, we all like as kids, we, we read about, you know, fairy tales that you'll meet, you know, Prince Charming or Princess Charming, you know, you'll get married and you'll live happily ever after, right? And we love the idea of, I can go back to Eden, you know, it won't apply to me. Or we watch, you know, Hollywood movies, you know, when you, you know, somebody meets somebody else and it, it's just incredible, you know, phenomenal relationship and they got chiseled bodies, incredible sex lives, they're passionately in love forever, no pain. You're like, yes! And everyone, we watch, you know, we, we buy the book, we watch the movie, because we want to go back to Eden. That's, and we, we, it sells, but it's an illusion because of what he's saying here is that, no, no, life is hard, and outside the Garden of Eden, you, you, you can't go back. And so in all, in all marriages, there is pain. <clears throat> Even the very best marriages, there is pain. All families have pain. And as you know, you know we, we do speaking at different places around the country, and we'll do genograms. We've done all genograms as part of our discipleship here for years. But when you put a genogram, which is kind of a mapping of your family out, you see the pain of all families, especially over two, three, four generations. Whether it's rich, poor, regardless of your race, your culture, doesn't matter. Every family is marked by relational tension and difficulties and pain. I mean, every workplace has conflict. Isn't that the truth? People disappoint us. Friends disappoint us. Family members disappoint us. Every church is marked by pain. No church is living in heaven. Every church is living outside of Eden, where there are tensions and difficulties. We have to work hard to be a Christian community. It doesn't just come. It's, it's a battle. And, and the reason for that is sin, because we end up, we walk, away, walk around with our fig leaves and false selves. And, you know, and I'm not the same me with you as I am with my wife, as well as my kids. I'm at work, at school, and I end up projecting different people, and I'm all divided internally now. 
And so what do we have in relationships? We've got things like manipulation and, and sarcasm and withdrawing and, and put-downs and, and lying and, and seducing and controlling with words and half-truths and defensiveness. I can go on, right? I mean, it's just relationships now are, 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 are difficult. But then he goes on, you know, so all relationships to be good now involve, in a sense, childbirthing, the pain of childbirthing. It's not easy any longer. And then he gets into work. In fact, that's where he spends a ch big chunk of time in verses 17 and 19. And it's a, it's, a, it's a heavy text. And he says, cursed is the ground because of you. Now, it's interesting. God doesn't curse people. You're, we're blessed. Very important. You are blessed. Just by the fact, you may be a total atheist, but you're blessed. Because you were made in God's image. And you're here in this room. You're, you're blessed. And you're Christian. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. You're really blessed. Okay, but the ground's cursed. And now he gets into work, and he begins to expound on all your work. Now, not just your job work, but just everything you do in terms of your doing. And he, he says this. He says, now, you'll notice this in verse seven, eight, 17. He says, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, I want you to notice. He says it's going to be painful toil in verse 17. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for easy, non-pain toil. If I'm going to work, I don't want pain. I want to work that's going to be easy. And then he says... There's going to be, instead, now the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles. Now, I don't know about you, but I want soft rose petals and lilies. But he says, no, no, it's going to be a mix. Now you're going to bleed some when you work. There's going to be hurt in work. And actually, we, we pulled some bushes out of our yard the other day. I, I now have, actually, I bled yesterday. I said, oh, how fitting, you know, and... I've got some thorns actually in me I've got to pull out later. I said, ah, you know, Genesis 3, you know, right there, you know. <laughs> thorns and thistles. And then verse 19, by the sweat of your brow. And I realized, I don't want to sweat. I want to sit in the couch. I want to flip. I, I, don't, I, want, I want to relax. But God said, no, no, I want you to understand. It's sweat. So now I'm thinking, all right, well, Maybe like you think, okay, I'll, I'll do that for high school, you know, or I'll do it like for two years at the college, or I'll do it like for this season. Then it's going to be over. But God said, no, I want to make it clear to you. It's, it's all the days of your life. Oh, gosh, you know. <laughs> and then he says it twice. Until you return to the ground. And like he brackets this thing. It's like, it's like you're cornered, you know. It's like, and then it beating us into the ground. And then he ends verse 19 by saying, to dust you are and to dust you will return. I mean, it's like no escape. And that, you know, I used to think, okay, I'm not a farmer. This passage doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but obviously, it applies to all of life. And, and so our life as we do in work is going to be marked by frustration and failure. That's what he's saying. And you will go out, and you're going to sweat, and you're going to bleed. It's going to be hard. The ground will be hard. Before the fall, the ground was easy. And all you do will have a level of exhaustion to it. And there will be more thorns tomorrow. Even when you succeed and reach your goal, it's never going to feel like absolute perfection and satisfaction. There will always be two or three more things undone. And this feeling of it's not quite finished. And so think about this for a minute. No matter what it is, whether it's your work, whether it's your ministry, whether it's where you're making ends meet or success, it's fleeting. And you're gonna, you, can, you can try moving from place to place or marriage to marriage or relationship to relationship. But... And there's a time to do that, isn't there? Obviously, it's healthy. But what he's saying is that it doesn't matter what you do, where you go, this is your life. There are 
no exceptions to this. In any country, in any culture, in any socioeconomic bracket, it applies. Now, when I was 10 years old, I remember looking at other young kids in the class, you know, and they were like brilliant. They seemed to get straight A's without effort, and they seemed to play sports, you know, and be tremendous without effort. They didn't have to practice like the rest of us, and they seemed to have all the little girls running after them without effort, you know? <laughs> and just like some of you, I'm sure if you remember being a young girl, you know, and you look at all the other girls are beautiful, and they're top of the cheerleading squad, and all that stuff, and you're like, oh, you know? Life doesn't seem hard for them, right? It's like, why? life's hard for me. But it's not hard for them. And then when you get to be a, a teenager and a young adult, it's the same thing. You're looking at everybody else saying, they, they don't seem to have the pain of life like I do. I'm, I'm stuck here. They're not. And then we grow old, older as adults and, we, and we're online at Wallbounds and Key Food and we pick up the magazines waiting and all these people with rich and famous lives. And they don't seem to have thorns and thistles because they got hundreds of millions of dollars and they never grow old. You know, their hair never grays. They're gorgeous forever. They, they're the fountain of youth. And you're like, life for them is glorious, and, and I'm in painful toil and thorns and thistles and sweat of your brow. And, uh, and we, look at, we look at other people, right? Other marriages, other families, other people, and we say, their life is easy, but mine isn't. All right? What this passage says is, no, 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 no. Nobody's life is easy. Life is difficult for everybody. Not everybody. You hear this? So, some of you are sitting there, oh, yeah, Pete, you know, you just threw this sermon together. I know, it's easy for you, you know. You, you got the gift that just came to you, you know, and just throwing it out there for an hour. You're going to go home, take a nap, you know. And, you know? No, no, no. There's thorns and thistles and sweat for me to get up here, right? You know, some of you say, oh, if I can just be in real estate, oh, my life will be easy. Real estate, I'll sell a house, a few houses, you know, they buy, the market moves itself, and I'll, yeah, really? Those of you in real estate, no, it's hard, thorns and thistles, you know? We look at other fields. If I can just move, I'm teaching at this school, if I can just move to that school, it'll, and you find, no, it's not. It's, it's, you know, teaching is hard. Being a principal is hard. You think, if I can just get out of being in the classroom and get to be an administrator, then my life will be easy. And you find out, no, it's not. And we go on, right? If you're home at mom, if I'm home with kids, I'm an at-home mom or at-home dad, and, and my spouse is working, then my life will be easy. And you realize, no, it's not, you know? And, and we go on, you know, you go on to sports. I look at Tiger Woods, you know, I look at him hit those golf balls, I say, I can do that. I mean, it looks so easy. He just gets up there, he swings so easy, and, you know, he makes millions. It's a great life. Everybody loves him. I look at tennis players, look at the NBA or all sports, marathon runners, I can do that, because they make it look, no, these people have worked really hard. I mean, you look at musicians who, who are, you know, you say they make it look so easy, right? But they have given their life of sweat, blood, and toil to perfect any gift God's given them. I mean, Steve Sell's over there painting. I mean, I, but he's got sweat under his arms right now, I'm sure, you know? <laughs> but, you know, nobody's naturally brilliant. I mean, if you're, if you're bright, you're working hard. I mean, I used to think that some people just, they, they didn't work hard, they just knew it all. I remember, I remember in school, in grammar school, in high school, saying, why can't, you know, the, why is it so hard to get this stuff to stick in the head? You know, you're studying for tests, you're trying to memorize, like, you know, I remember hating God for this. It's ridiculous, you know. You can't be a God that make life so terrible. And, 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 you know, I'm trying to memorize all this stuff. It's like, no, it's just hard. And, and uh, you know, it's the illusion of Tarshish. Remember Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was an ugly city in Assyria. And, and it was a place full of sinners. And God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, you know, it's a horrible place. It's thorns and thistles, sweat of your brow, you know. If the ground is hard there, the painful toil, I don't want that. So he gets on a boat and he goes the other direction. And he's going to Tarshish. Tarshish is a, some city on the other side of the, in Spain at that time. It's a total illusion of this wonderful place. 
He can do ministry and no problems. Everybody loves him. He'll be a king, you know. It's this illusion that we all have that I can go to Tarshish someday and life will be perfect. I can go back to Eden and everything will work wonderfully. And so, no, here's the great news or the bad news. In every profession, in every field, all over the world, life is hard. Life is difficult. Let that sink into you. All the days of your life. So you can retire all the days of your life. To dust you are and to dust you will return. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Every one of us will return to the ground. And we can't stop it. We will die. Though sadly, some of us, we're trying to keep other people from the pain of life. We're great enablers. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to rescue everybody. Like we can keep them from this reality. No, everybody must fall on this. Because God's got a purpose in it right now. Because we didn't, we go crazy. Now, there's three things we do with it. And uh, I want to try to break this down a little bit. In fact, it says in Romans 8 that it's so, right now, it's so hard that even the creation itself groans as in the pains of childbirth. Think about that. That the trees, that's why it says when Jesus comes, the trees of the fields will shout for joy. Because even they groan under the weight of this text. But all creation, us as well as the creation of God, trees, fields, moon, stars, will give praise and glory to God. Somehow, they too will be liberated and experience the glorious freedom of the sons of God. So, that's the great news. Now, here's what we do. We tend to do three things. Because uh, we don't like that life is hard. And so, we, we, get, we basically begin to maneuver on how to deal with this. And we basically get mad at God, most of us. And we blame him for this hard life. And there's really three major options. You can fight, you can flee, or you can freeze. And let me try to unpack them quickly here. Some of us, we just, we're just mad. We're, you're mad because life is hard. You're mad because things aren't going your way. You're mad because you've got thorns and thistles and hard and pain and sweat, trials, difficulty, and you're stressed and angry most of the time. You're like a tiger. Things come, you know, little, little things come your way, and you, you, know, you, you attack. And you're stressed out most of the time. And you're demanding the Garden of Eden right now. And you are going to control and manage and manipulate and push people in situations so that this thing is going beautiful. And of course they don't, and so you keep getting madder and madder and more bitter. And uh, you know what it's like trying to buy like a house or trying to rent an apartment. I can remember just being so angry. You know, trying to figure out, I'm going to get that apartment at a good price, you know. And there's a healthy assertion, but you know when it moves to striving? And you're just, you're just this is all about striving, you're controlling. And there's a proper place of, you know, working hard and, and, and asserting yourself. But people who get really frustrated, the, 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 the long, what do you call it, the, um, the extreme of this is I get violent. People who are violent, they're fighting, they're, 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 they're mad. Because people aren't responding that well. And, you know, I, re I remember being frustrated with people. Let's say William here. It wasn't William, but he's here. I want to change William. You know, I want him to follow God, of course, my way. You know, and I'm like, Argh. and so I'm angry. I'm fighting with this guy. You've you got to think my way and believe my way and go my way. And then, then we make an inner vow. If you've been hurt a lot in life, I'll never let anybody hurt me again. They come near me, I will get them first. And some of you, you're just a, a fighter. And the way that you deal with the fact that you're outside of Eden is you're always fighting. Now, some of us, we, we, we try to fight and we, we realize we can't. And so we just flee. We figure out, I can't remove the barriers. 
I don't like this pain I'm in, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a way to basically flee the pain. Now, of course, the classic way we flee pain is some kind of addiction. You know, drugs, alcohol, you know, I daydream a lot. Uh, somehow I'm going to leave reality. Maybe it's pornography, shopping, whatever it might be, but I'm going to distract into something to numb the pain. You know, right? I, you know, I, I do a little bit of working out, you know, and jogging. That is, they have a TV, ESPN, and they've always got these like three ESPN, you know, sports channels, and they're always showing the highlights of every, like, every sport, whether it's soccer or basketball or football. And I realize I'm watching. Every time I go, I'm watching incredible play after incredible play. It's like it's never like just an average, you know, sports event. It's like somebody's doing something absolutely unbelievable. And I realize it's and all of us, you know, like this, you know. It's like very addictive. And I realize there are people with hours and hours with sports. As just, it's almost like I'm fleeing the pain of life into this you know, illusionary world. Or some of us, you know, we just withdraw, especially as you, get, as you get older in life, you experience more pain. And so by midlife, people start doing some crazy things. You know, leave, you know leaving spouses, having affairs, something to you know, inoculate oneself against the pain of life that seems to get larger as we grow older, not less. And, uh, or we avoid our families altogether. And I, we bury ourselves into our careers. Because I could just succeed and be a superstar in my career, then I don't have to think about the rest of life. Now, I know folks who become, let's say, you know, super triple PhDs in botany, you know. And, uh, you know, they're brilliant in their field. and they, they, They've devoted their life to this, which is not a bad thing, right? It's great to be an expert in your field. But one can do it in a way that one is running from life. And so I don't, I don't, I don't deal with the fact that my marriage is disintegrating, my kids are out of control, I don't even know how to manage my checkbook, I'm, just, I'm not even alive for the rest of life because I buried myself and I fled to my work in a way to run from God because life is too painful in other areas. Because you see, I can't control life and life has thorns and thistles everywhere. And so I looked for a place where there are no thorns and thistles and if I can get some control, even if it's over one little square inch, I'm grabbing, I'm going to live there, I'm not going to move. I'm going to create my own Garden of Eden. And it's really fleeing. I mean, how many folks who are you're single and you say, if I can just get married, I'll be in Eden. You know, or you're married, you're saying, if I can just get divorced, I'll be in Eden. You know, you know that. And, or we say, I want to get married. I want to I retire. I'm going to save so much money because I am going to retire and there'll be no more thorns and thistles. No more sweat of your brow. No more toil. And then you retire and you realize, you realize there's, it's, just, it's life. It doesn't change. It's still other problems that come up. And, and, or I used to think, if I'll get so rich, I'll pay everybody else. And I'm paying you to, to, to get my thorns. And you're going to get my thorns. You can do my painful toil. I'm going to sit back on a throne like a king, you know, and I will have no pain in life. And even those people who try that find out it doesn't work. You cannot escape Genesis 3. Life is hard outside the Garden of Eden, and you can't go back. As, you can try fling as much as you want. Then others of us, we just simply freeze. And you freeze when you realize, I can't fight, that doesn't work. I can't flee, that doesn't work. And now it's like I'm just immobilized. I'm depressed and I'm just I'm immobilized. Think, think of a rabbit coming out of its hole and it comes up to the little hill and looks behind him and realizes a dog sees him. And this dog starts chasing you as a little bunny rabbit. You're running around. And you realize, I can't fight this dog, he'll eat me, okay? I can't outflee the dog because he's faster than me. And so basically, you get behind a little tree and you, and, you, and you freeze. And then the dog hopefully goes by, you know? But you're freezing as your way of, of, of running away because you're saying, and you're in a tree, you're just hitting yourself over the head like, oh, how stupid, why did I ever leave my hole, you know? And, 
oh, I'm so depressed. And I made a mess of my life. I should have stayed where I was. And blah, 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 blah. And, and your life just stops. Some of us, we're frozen. We have stopped living life because we don't want to deal with pain. And we have immobilized ourselves. And uh, you see, the point is, life is hard. And outside the garden, uh, you can't go back. But now here is the, here, here is the, the really, the, the, the second part of this message here. And it's important, but you got The first one I find is, is the most difficult one to take. Because I don't like number one. But because I don't really like number two that well either. Because I'd rather go back to Eden. It seems a lot quicker and a lot easier just to jump over the cherubim and his flaming sword and get back to Eden and, and we're all fine. But we, God puts, and I, you know, puts, this, puts this cherubim, you can't go back. You can only go out in, through the desert. Because the world is like a wilderness or a desert. And you're called to go forward through the desert to the promised land. The promise, before you get to the promised land, there's even giants in the land. So every time, isn't, along the way we're saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I want to go back, I want to go back. I said, no, you go, you're going forward, you're going forward, you're going forward. And um, I, I, I think, you know, why, why? You've got to ask yourself, why? I mean, why not just let us back in? And we'll all be happy. Now, obviously, God makes a way for us to taste of the tree of life through Jesus. And Revelation speaks about that. But I don't fully know, I, I, don't, fully know, I don't know a lot of things why God does what he does. But I do know this. But by going forward through the desert, God is breaking us. The curse, that number one breaks you. It breaks everybody's pride. Come on, how do you be proud of the fact that the dust you will return? I mean, how proud are you going to be about your accomplishments and your security and your, and your prowess and your intellect? You're going to dust. Every one of us in 100 years will all be dust. And that is humbling, isn't it? That is so humbling. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. I mean, that, that's, how, that's how little control we have of life. The dust you are and the dust you will return. It is the limits of life. God is God and you are not. And a part of us says, Rawr! you know, it's like you rise up. Well, you know. And we fight back, you know, and and because God, as as I like what John, what the Scott Peck says, that the heart of the spiritual journey is it breaks our narcissism. It just there's something about us we're so narcissistic, like I'm the center of the world, I'm in control, I know what's going on, I'm gonna make it happen, and it's like this clash of your stubbornness and my stubbornness and my independence and my self will that says I'm gonna make it, you know, and no one's gonna get in my way. I'm gonna be different than everybody else. I'm not going to have all that pain. I'm going to cut right through it, you know. And, and, then you, and, and you just, and you're just come out. And, and this, the reality of Genesis 3, 16 and 19, it just wears you down. And God's intention is to wear you down that it might actually humble you. The word for humility comes from the word humus, which means ground. You're grounded when you're humble. You know you're from the ground. And a proud person elevates themselves. Like, oh, here I am, you know. And God says, no, he pushes us to the ground. I know people on their deathbeds who refuse to be pushed to the ground, angry that they're dying at 95 years old. How dare he? I'm serious. Because it's deeper. It's, it, it's amazing how all this stuff can come our way, thorns, thistles, stepbacks, trials. God's trying to get you to look to him, to depend on him, to go to him. And you're like, no. And it's like, it just, it's like we're just, there's something so fierce and self-will. And God's trying to break that sin thing in us. That we're actually like humble and broken and waiting on him and dependent. We're like little children, vulnerable. So, you know, embracing reality. If you don't embrace reality, and if you're not undone by the curse, you see, 
If you're not undone by the fall and the curse in life, you'll never grow up. I'll never grow up. I'm aware of that. Deep change requires that number one undoes you. It breaks you. It does something for you. You realize, I, I am not in control. And embracing that enables me to say, oh my gosh, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know, whom have I in heaven on earth but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. There's, I, 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 I want you. And that's why it says in Deuteronomy 8, God says, I led you in a desert to test you, which means to expose what's in you, and to humble you, to bring you low, that you might be hungry for that which can truly feed you my word. And so God leads us to a desert to get some things done inside of us. So what does that look like? Well, it's one day at a time. Like today, right now, are you fighting and striving? Are you fleeing? Are you frozen? And how are you doing that? What's your way of, of finagling that whole thing? Because, listen, when Jesus says, I will be with you always, what he's saying is, I'm calling you out to go forward. I've got a plan for your life, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's an incredible promise. When he says, it's better you that I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you and inside of you. The God of the universe will live inside of you. I will be with you on this journey of transformation, and I'm taking you someplace. And it's being present and living a life of faith and love and dependence to God every day. It really is like 12 steps. It is one day at a time. It is like, because if we don't go one day at a time, we end up getting crazy all over again. Striving, fighting, fleeing, it's incredible. And so, but I've got to go through this desert, which is very confusing, very painful. It's uncomfortable in a desert. It's disorienting. There's no markers. Where are we going, God? How are we going to get there? It's very hazy. It's unexplored. God has a life for you that he's got for nobody else. I mean, he's got a purpose for you, and, and it's through a desert. And so, you say, well, where's it going? And God says, trust me, I'll guide you. Surrender to my love. Trust me in this thing. And then the great call is to wait on God. You see, that's the great challenge, to wait on God for your future. Because my tendency, and I imagine yours too, is when I hit pain and difficulties, I'm not, I, I, this is, if I'm waiting on God, this isn't going very well. And so I just say, you know what? I'm taking over. Because your plan is filled with pain, toil, sweat. And so I'm going to try to do it myself. And as you know, that, doesn't, that goes worse. That's doubly worse. In fact, someone came for prayer first service and prayers means I'm, I'm trying to run my own life and it's worse. That's exactly right. But to wait on the Lord, wait on him in this journey is a challenge. And so you've got a great future. Paul wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. It's a perspective of life of glory. There's a promised land that God has you. Do you understand? God's trying to make you thirsty for the promised land. But you're saying, I want, I, forget the promised land. I want it now. I want these earthly, I want everything now. I don't really care about that stuff. And God says, no, I'm going to wean you from that. I'm going to get you detached from that. I'm going to put pain and toil so that you don't want anything in this world, but you hunger for me. And so, you see, you've got a future that's unimaginably glorious and splendid and joyful. You'll experience, if you'll come to Jesus and live for him, you're going to have an experience of God's intensity and joy a hundred billion times over the world's ever known. There's a place of perfect fellowship where you'll have a Love with everybody and no more pain, no more crying. You'll see him face to face. I mean, I can go on. A rest like no other Sabbath rest when you see him. A life of full knowledge. We'll know him as we are fully known. A life of work. You'll rule over cities. It'll be a joyful, perfect work. I mean, you're going to see his face. 
That's a promised land like, like we only taste glimpses of on earth. And the Lord says, you trust me, follow me, wait on me, and let me take you there. But it's a journey through a desert, across giants, to a promised land. But you can't go back to Eden. It's an immature way of living life, and you'll never grow up and fulfill God's plan for your life. Listen, we talk about a promised land and where God's calling you to. It is beyond the human mind to comprehend. It is a glory and a grace and a beauty that is just beyond us. But we get glimpses, and God says, trust me, surrender to me. I began this series by talking about a rope and a blizzard. Remember that? It was a long time ago, for those of you who are here. And I want to end with this and make an application for us. The story came from a, a book called The Hidden Wholeness by Parker Palmer. And uh, it's actually true that in the Midwest and parts of Canada today, that they have these enormously dangerous whiteout blizzards, they're called, where a blizzard will come into the Great Plains and with such ferocity that you cannot see six inches in front of you. And so people have been known to die, many people have died, three feet from their front door or their back door because they couldn't find their way. They were wandering in their own front yard lost. They froze to death. And so they recommend, and you can actually see this on websites and, and, and the, you know, the internet, that they'll tell you to, to tie a rope from your house to like another building, a barn, for example, in the backyard. So that if you get caught in a blizzard whiteout, you can at least, if you find the rope, you can make your way back home. Because if you do not have a rope and you are caught in a blizzard, you will die. You will not make it home. And so our lives, in many ways, things come into our lives, pain, difficulties, trials, setbacks. We're busy. Our lives feel out of control. And it can feel like, I'm in a blizzard right now. Some of you may be sitting here saying, I'm in a blizzard right now, Pete. I can't see six inches. I don't even know how I got here this morning. And unless you grab onto the rope. Now, the rope is God. Unless you grab that rope, you're going to die. Because you can't figure out life on your own. You can think you'll figure it out on your own, but God is saying, no, there's thorns, there are thistles. Sweat of your brow. The soil is hard. You got to hold on to the rope and trust me and wait on me as you journey through the desert to the promised land. But that is your life. It's one of absolute dependence on me. It's not pride, it's humility. That's why you can only be a Christian if you're weak. Someone says Christianity is for weak people. Yes. But you're weak too, you just can't admit it. Because you're, 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 you're going to dust too, my friend. You're, you're, headed, you're headed for dust just like I am. And your life is hard. You've got sweat just like the rest of us. You're not exempt. So you're living on the illusion that you're in control. That's what's really sad. So we want to, so, so here's the choice. You have a choice. You can keep fighting. You can keep running. You can, you can remain frozen. But you know what? The other choice is we can, we can surrender to the love of God and grab the rope. So I, am, I, am, I am holding on to the rope. I'm not going to grasp to try to make life happen. I'm not going to hide from God. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fight, flee, or freeze. I'm going to hold on to the rope for all my life, oh God, and trust you because I can't see. I'm trusting you, Lord, on this journey through the desert of life. That I, you, I'm going to make it all the way. You began a good work in me. You're going to finish it. But it's an every day of grabbing that rope and recognizing the minute you lose that rope, you're lost. It reminds me of Luke chapter 15 in the prodigal son when he, rent, he, rent, he, ran, you know, he found himself lost eating with pigs and it says he came to his senses. Genesis 1 to 3 is really about coming to your senses. You can, out of fear, because you're afraid God's going to ruin your life, you can run your own life. You'll get lost and you'll die in a blizzard. 
Or you can grab the rope and surrender to his love for you and say, okay, God, your will in my life. Because he does love you. He's got a great plan for your life. But it's him and you, not you making it happen. So I'm going to invite you, worship team, come on forward. And I want to do this. Let's remain seated as these guys come forward. And let's do a little exercise together for like two or three minutes. I want to ask you the question, and I'm going to give you two or three minutes to ponder this before God in silence. How are you either fighting God today, fleeing from God today, or how are you perhaps frozen and you're not moving with God today? I think it's very appropriate in a message like this because it's meant to break us and humble us and bring us to the ground that we might grab onto the rope, that we really allow God to search our hearts and we come clean as best we can. What is your way of running from God? Is it fighting? Are you a striver, controller? Are you fleeing? You're running into numbing yourself from pain and burying yourself from reality? Or are you a frozen, you're just frozen in depression or anxiety, whatever, you're, you're just not moving. So we're gonna do the discipline of silence for like two or three minutes. And before God, we're gonna do what the Bible calls be still and wait patiently before the Lord. Psalm 37, 7. And let's just get before God. Close your eyes with me. Just kind of sit still and calm yourself down. You know, just... Uh, the worship team is going to begin just leading us in this song about asking forgiveness. I think it's very, it's very appropriate that we get cleansed by God. One of the greatest truths of Christianity is that simple truth of forgiveness of sins. And so you may want to just listen as the worship team leads, or you may want to join in singing uh, this great song, you know, Lord, forgive me, Lord, have mercy. And just ask the Lord to cleanse you, as I ask him to cleanse me and to transform you, that you might be able to live that life of surrender to him, okay? It's a great prayer, isn't it? Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. The blind Bartimaeus, the side of the road, I guess I want to close really two invitations specifically, okay? The first is this. You know, there's stupid pain, right? You know, is this, we're, some of us, we're just in pain and difficulty because of just stupid decisions. And I've done a lot of that in my life. So, but then there's just the pain of life. So, obviously, if you're in stupid pain, you'll say, oh, God, forgive me for that. And you want to begin to walk with Christ, so just you're not, that, at least, life is hard enough without doing dumb things to make it more difficult. So, but I want to invite the first group forward is just those of you who know God is purging you. You know what purging means? God is, he's not just forgiving you. He's like taking something out of you that's just not of him. It's just that, it's that self-will, that stubbornness, that inability to wait, that impulsive. He's just, he's just bringing hard things and thorns. and he, He's breaking you to, to bring you to the earth that you might depend on him, not just once in a while or once a week, but your life is one of grabbing hold of the rope. And you know there's something deep going on inside of you. And we want to pray with you and, and ask God to just continue that work and fully finish it, to cleanse you and set you free, to be a man or woman who just waits on him. And I want to invite you. That's one group. I want to encourage you to come. And you know who you are. You may be coming to Christ for the first time. You come up here and you let him cleanse you. But the second group is some of you, you're just, you're just, you're in a season of grieving. You're in some pain. And you don't have a, a theology of grieving because you hate waiting and you don't like not being in control 
And there is a place of pouring out your heart before the Lord, like King David did all over the Psalms. He just poured out his struggles and grief to the Lord. See, the question is, what do you do with the grief? And David, what made him so great was he brought it to God. And, you know, what grieving is about, I pay attention to it, but then I, I wait on the Lord. I live in that confusion of waiting on the Lord, and then I let him in his time birth something new. But grieving is hard work. But that's the way God, he does something deep in us and transforms us into men and women of humility and love and grace and all that beautiful stuff that comes out of that process. So some of you, I want to invite you to come and, and just get in that process of grieving before God, not just by yourself. And you're, you're inviting him to do a work in you in that process. And not run from your pain, but run into it with God. That he could do that deep work of grace in you. Remember, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He didn't run from reality. He walked right into it. It's very un-North American, isn't it? So we're going to close. We're going to be dismissed. And we're going to have our altar teams up here. And we'll pray for people, all right? And, and uh, let's try to keep it quiet in here. And I know the only thing I want to do is about God's goodness, you know? And so if you sit here and as they're praying up front, and just let the words of this song just ring over you. For he is good and his love endures forever. Because that really is the test, isn't it? Is God good and does his love endure forever? Because I don't know what's going on. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to hold on to the rope and trust you, Lord. Because you are good and your love endures forever, even though I'm in a bit of pain right now. And I don't know why. But I trust that you are good. Okay? Let's pray together. Let's bow with me for a moment. In fact, just open up your hearts again to receive from God a blessing as we go. So, Lord, I invite that your face would shine upon everybody in this room. Lord, that your glory would fall in this room to take, Father, these little seeds that have been spoken out of just a few verses would go deep in our soil. And, Lord, that you would mature and transform every person in this room. Lord, We would not forget, Lord, these words which, which are life as we go out to school and to work tomorrow or be with our families. For, Lord, we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So may the good hand of our Lord Jesus Christ rest upon you. And may the Holy Spirit give you the power and the grace to move, to unfreeze, to surrender, and to walk in the truth, not illusion. So I bless you and all that the God will do up here at this altar time in the front. In Jesus' name.